Tuesday and welcome to the Tuesday version of the Daily Walk. This is your host Wayne Clevenger and today we are in Luke's version of the Passion of the Christ and he gives a lot of things that no one else does in the gospel writings and I love Luke's detail and so we're in Luke 22 through 24 today. And he brings out some things that none of the other gospel writers do. Now, remember, he's a physician, so he's going to be detailed, right? So let's jump right into it because there's some really good stuff that he brings out that really talks about our faith and what we are about in Jesus. So Luke 22 opens up with the betrayal of, and who's going to do it. So my heading, your heading, should be Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And what's interesting is there's a scripture in there that says, Luke writes, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So we know the money from the other Gospels was 30 pieces of silver. But what Luke makes a point in saying was, then Satan entered into Judas. There's that one point in our life where Satan just gets a hold and he enters and we go do something that we aren't really accustomed to doing or we just turn our back on the very thing that we've been following for a long time. And it hits Judas and so he goes against everything that he's been taught and following for money. And... He, and he just goes and has fame. Now, then we switch to, or he thinks he has fame, because we know how it ends up for him. Now, Luke won't talk about Judas anymore, but we know from the other Gospels that this betrayal haunts him to the point that he takes his own life. So the story shifts to the Last Supper, and Jesus has them go prepare the Last Supper. And what's different in Luke about the Last Supper than anyone else, and this is only in Luke, is it says, first, as Jesus gathered them around the table, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. This is in Luke twenty-two seventeen. Take this and share it among you yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So he took the wine first and tells them to take a drink of wine and share it amongst them. 
Then in 19, verse 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, broke it, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we got the wine, then the body, right? Here's what's interesting. You know, I knew this was only in Luke, so I did this once in communion, and I had someone very close to me get really mad at me because, and I don't know if mad's the right word, they were disgruntled because I did it wrong. And I said, well, it depends on how you look at it. You might want to go look at how it's done in Luke. And we're not done here with this either. But here's what I believe. I did it that way specifically because when you drink first and have bread last, you obviously have a dryness in your mouth, right? Which the whole purpose, I believe, is to have a constant thirst for the living water of Jesus. And that that's what we're trying to do is... Leave here thirsty for more. Leave here thirsty for more of Jesus. Because what happens is, if we go down a couple more verses, after supper, okay, think about that. They've eaten. After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as sacrifice. So they took another drink after supper, which would be, you know, the contemporary way of doing communion, bread and then bread and then juice or wine. And so that's how it's customary is that way. But see, I did it the other way because Luke shows it that way, and I believe it's so we have this constant thirst for the living water. And and so instead of understanding that part, it was easier to ridicule that I did it wrong. And so I just took that not as a bad thing. I took it as a teaching moment and made sure that I explained that better whenever I would do it that way. And, you know, we do... Uh, Monday Thursday, which this is on a Thursday. This is Monday Thursday setting. This is happening the Thursday before Good Friday. So I make sure that if we do it that way, that we do it all. The drink, the bread, and the drink so that people understand. But I, I put in there that there's a constant need to be plugged into the living water because he wants us to stay in fellowship with him once and for all. And so, you know, he goes back into uh, someone that's going to betray him, and, you know, they all are like, oh, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And uh, that's when, you know, Jesus sees that Peter's going to be his prideful self, and only recorded in Luke is the part of the sifting. I love this part. It's Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, 
where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So he's praying because he knows they're going to be sifted. He knows they're going to have issues. He knows that this is going to be more than they can endure. He knows, you know, and I think there's a time when we all are going to, we all are going to be sifted. You know, maybe we're being sifted right now because we're being put in a situation where we've got to make decisions and we're not sure. And you, you think about a sifter, it sifts out the impurities, right? And then you dump them. And so we're put in situations where we've got we to think about, you know, Satan is putting stuff in our path that we want to do, we might want to be a part of, we might want to get involved in, but because it looks good, sounds good, and would bring glory, but who's the glory for? And then we've got to think, what's it going to affect? What's, what's the repercussions? And so we got to... If, if it's in the sifter, what's the repercussions? And so in this prayer, Jesus sees that they're going to have to repent. So they are probably going to take the wrong path. Because <laughs> he says, after you have repented, when you repent, when you have repented, which means after you've repented, and turn to me again, so we're going to turn our back on God. Somewhere we're going to fail. We're going to make the wrong decision because our, our prideful self is going to get involved. We're going to want the glory for ourselves, and we're going to do the, the thing that's going to bring us glory instead of him glory. He says, but you're going to figure it out. And then turn to me again. He's going to be there ready to accept us because we serve a forgiving, merciful, loving God. I just think that's so awesome. He says, so when you return to me and you get back on the right path, strengthen your brothers. That's just so awesome because he's like, I know it's going to happen. I know it's you're going to fail. And I know that I'm going to be waiting for you because I need you. So what's that say? This says if you're being sifted and if you're concerned, know that God is with you. And even if we should make a decision we regret or have maybe we've been sifted, we made a decision we regret. God is with you, and he's waiting for you to return to him. Just let him know, hey, I made, I made this wrong decision, and I'm sorry, Lord. I, I got ahead of myself, and I know that it was more about me than you. And this is coming up because G Jesus tells Simon, because Simon gets boastful. That's Peter. And he says, look, man, you're going to to deny me before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And I often think, you know, when we're sifted, 
in that sifting, are we denying who we are in Jesus for some pleasure? You know, and I talked about Sunday that if we're a friend of the world, we're not a friend of God. And if we do things that please the world, then we're not pleasing God. You know, Paul writes about that in Romans. And we know what we want to do, but we just can't do it because of our sinful nature. And it's like Jesus sees that right here, right now. And so, you know, Peter in his boastfulness is like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. But it happens. And here's what's really interesting. Jesus actually takes them to Gethsemane to pray on the Mount of Olives, and he says to them, and Luke's the only one that says this, pray. The other gospel said, sit with me, but Luke actually says, pray that you will not give into temptation. He's just told them you're going to be sifted. He just told them in not straight terms, but indirect terminology that you're going to fail, so when repent and return to me strengthen each other because you'll get it then you know and that's i mean that's that's the stuff that i had to learn the hard way and i try to help people not have to learn it the hard way sometimes my tone is not the best you know like my tone was not good last night and i'm sorry for that to my wife but it's like man We have to, and my tone is not always the best when I'm teaching my son how to drive. My tone is not always the best when I'm teaching paramedics. But Jesus' tone is always the best. And so even after he tells him this, he says, pray with me. Pray that you will not give in to temptation when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus goes to the garden and he's praying to his father. And he goes back and they're not praying and Jesus has just said, hey, look, I know this is going to happen. So the best way to fight it is to pray. Pray to your heavenly father. Pray. And and once again, they aren't listening. And so they don't take heed to his warning and they sleep through it. And then Jesus gets betrayed and arrested and, and only in Luke do we have where the servant's ear is cut off and Jesus heals him. And he tells his, his uh, disciples, no more of this. And he, pick, he touches the man's ear and heals the man's ear. Can you imagine that would be your last encounter with Jesus is a healing power? Wouldn't that be something? Is your last encounter when you take him off to be crucified, was he healed you? Would that be something? And then after Jesus heals him and he tells his disciples, look, we aren't that way. This is not what I taught you. We, I mean, here it is. They're, the sifting is beginning, and he's already telling them, no, this is not who we are in Christ this is not what we're about in Christ. And so they take him away. The disciples all split. And then this is where Peter denies Jesus. And after the third denial, 
and the rooster crows, only in Luke does it say that the Lord's words flashed through his mind, and at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Only Luke says that. And when Peter saw that, all the stuff came back to him. You know, I'm going to be sifted. I'm, and I said I would be okay. And I'm, I said I'd deny him. And I'm, so I've been arguing with him. And all this stuff comes back to him. And it's like, you know, it's when we get warning that this Satan has a foothold. And when we get warning that this happens if we do this and we don't listen and then it really happens, and we're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have did that, you know? And it's like, oh, my goodness. And so he runs off weeping bitterly because everything the Lord said takes place. And so then Jesus is taken before the high council, and they start doing things. But one thing that they make note of here is that they blindfold him, and they start telling him hey prophesy tell us of who you are and so i thought that was interesting because the others just say they beat on him and that they tell him to prophesy but luke makes a point that they blindfolded him so then he goes to Pilate, and Pilate says are you the king of the jews and he says you have said it so then he finds out that he's a galilean so he sends him to herod and remember herod and his lineage was the ones that were trying to kill him from the beginning. And now we got Herod trying to kill him in the end, right? So Herod wants to see him because Herod wants to see him do a miracle. So he's in for the thrills and spills, right? But Herod can't find nothing wrong with him. Pilate can't find nothing wrong with him. So they decide there's no crime. So they say, I... Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I'll have him flogged, and then we'll release him. But then the crowd gets all mad, you know, and they're like, no, kill him, kill him, give us Barabbas. And so Pilate again demands why, what crime has he committed? So I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to have him flogged. I'm going to release him to you. But he already released Barabbas. So by releasing him to them, he... Pilate releases Barabbas, like they said, but he releases Jesus to them to let them do whatever they want with him. And in Pilate's mind, remember Pilate's the one that killed all those people back in uh, Galilee. But in his mind, that clears his mind of Jesus' death. Because remember we heard in the other gospel that his wife said, don't mess with him. And that was his way of clearing his mind. <laughs> okay, even though he knows they're going to kill him. Because the first thing that happens after that is they take him off to Golgotha. They nail him to the cross. And, you know, as he's dropped in the hole and all that's happening, you know, Jesus, the Messiah, who could call 10,000 angels to come take him down and just destroy the world says this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's only in Luke as well. And then they talk about the two criminals, one on his left, one on his right. 
And what's really interesting is this is only in Luke 2 because the one mocks him and says, if you're the Messiah, prove it by saving yourself. But the other one says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus takes that as a repentance and says, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So then we get the whole time zone when Jesus gives up his spirit. And so that's in here where Jesus says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And he dies. And then we get the story of Joseph of Arimathea coming to take his body down because they want it down before the Sabbath, which is approaching because it's Friday night and their Sabbath is on Saturday. And so then we get to Luke 24, which is the resurrection. Now, this is good because, you know, the two women go there and they go in the tomb, which is already open. The stone is already rolled away for their sake. They walk in and the two angels appear and they say, why are you looking amongst the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. Remember, he told you to go meet him in Galilee and that he would, because he was going to rise on the third day. So they run back to tell the disciples. And then the story shifts to the walk to Emmaus. I love this because Jesus is walking. There's two guys walking to Emmaus. Jesus walks up amongst them and he, he plays like he doesn't know. Jesus hides, or God hides Jesus' identity from him. But here's, here's what I think. You know, the last time these people saw Jesus, he was beaten beyond recognition. When he rises from the tomb, he's in this new perfect body like you and I are going to have except for the symbolic holes in his hands and feet. And so I think a lot of it they didn't recognize because he was perfect again. So Jesus, they don't recognize him. They act like, you know, oh, you don't know what happened to the man Jesus who he thought he was a prophet. And so Jesus is like, you know, come on, you guys. How long are you going to think like this? Because they're like, we hoped he was the Messiah past tense, who came to rescue Israel. I mean, they, they talk past tense because they think Jesus is gone because the tomb's empty. They think someone took him and he's gone. And he says, how hard is it to you believe what the prophets wrote? So then he walks them through the prophets and the whole story of Jesus as said in the prophets back in the the Torah, the book of Moses. And so they ask him to stay for dinner because he acts like he's going to go on. He sits down to bless the food, and they recognize that. And then they recognize him, and then Jesus just disappears. And they're like, oh, wasn't our heart strangely warmed when he was telling us all about the story? Wasn't that so cool? And so they get up and leave and go to the twelve or the eleven disciples, the apostles, and they tell their story. And they said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. We heard that." And so, as they're all conversing about it, Jesus appears in the midst of them. 
And, of course, they're frightened because he just appears, so they think he's a ghost. And he says, no, I'm not a ghost. Here, touch me. And see, this kind of dispels the whole Doubting Thomas thing because none of them believed when they first saw him. They all had to look, and he offered them to touch, but, of course, none of them did. And to help them even further, he says, do you got anything to eat? And he, they handed him some fish, so he ate because, you know, ghosts don't have bodies, Ghosts don't have hunger, and he eats with them. And so he goes with, over with them about the prophets and what the psalmist wrote, and he tells them that it, their job is to go proclaim to the nations. He gives them the great commission, as Luke writes it, and they're supposed to go proclaim the great news of Jesus' resurrection and his forgiveness of sins beginning in Jerusalem, but he tells them that they're all witnesses of this, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them, just as his father promised, but stay here until you receive it, which Luke also writes Acts, and that's what we're seeing at the end of Luke is what is the beginning of Acts, and so Jesus is telling them, hold on, don't go anywhere. You got to be my witnesses. But he knows how difficult it is to be a witness in your own flesh. And he wants them to have the power of the Holy Spirit in them so that they can endure sifting, so that they can do what's greater in them than what's in the world. And so he tells them, wait for that gift, and then it closes out with them watching Jesus ascend to heaven. And Luke's the only one that shows this ascension to heaven in there because he's kind of given the prelude to his next book being the book of Acts. So this is great stuff, man. Luke Luke's version of the Passion is very detailed. It talks about life, and it really sets the precursor to a life with an infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus resurrected from the grave for, what he gave his life for us, so we could have more. Yes, forgiveness is key, but he wants us to have more and he wants us to have that Holy Spirit life with him so that we can repent and come back to him and get that second infilling so that we can get through life knowing that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's a verse we're going to get later. And know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I just think that's so huge. So I hope today this has been a good inspiration for you. And that if you're being sifted, know that God is greater. And he'll help you make the right decision. And if you've already made one that you didn't want to make and you already made it, just say, sorry, Lord, and come back to him and learn from it and know that you can strengthen others so that they won't make the same. Because Peter, we know, Jesus makes a better man out of him through his. Because Jesus said to him early, 
You are the rock on which I want to build my church, and all the forces of hell will not be able to destroy it. So Jesus knew, and he wants you to be that same person because he's going to fill you with the power from heaven. It says so right there in Luke. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow as we start in the book of John. God speak, would you pour down like rain? Wash